0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojenga. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Natasha Wauji. Natasha is a director at Google Canada, leading telecom, tech, and public sector. Previously, she was a McKinsey consultant and a software developer. Natasha has actively served the community for 20 plus years, focused on disaster relief, poverty alleviation, public health, and people with disabilities. She holds a B.Sc. in Computer Science from University of Victoria, MBA from Yale University, and Master of Sustainability Leadership from Cambridge University. Natasha is one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. Please help me in welcoming Natasha Waoji. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Natasha. It's a great privilege to have you on the Fresh Start podcast. So let's get right into it because of the time we have today. Can you walk us through your experience growing up as a child of immigrant parents in Canada?
1: For sure. So first of all, David, thank you so much for hosting uh, this podcast and for having me on today. I'm equally excited to be here. So thank you for this opportunity as well. Um, You know, when I think about coming to Canada, I think it's important to start, you know, to think about where the journey began. Mm -hmm. And so my great-grandparents are actually from India, and they immigrated to East Africa. So both my parents and grandparents were born and raised in East Africa. Mm -hmm. And so my parents left East Africa uh, to go to England to study, and that's where my sister and I were born. So that's a little bit of our kind of route to Canada. And so my sister and I came to Canada with my parents in the 80s, and I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. And I always think about like the life and the journey that I have. And I always think I love this quote by Isaac Newton, which is, if I've seen further, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. And I think that is true of every person that's had parents immigrate to Canada, Mm -hmm. or if you have immigrated yourself, uh, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants and that's been a big part of my journey. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Calgary and, you know, it was an interesting time because there wasn't a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, and when I landed in Calgary, I had a British accent and I was four years old, and so I did get made fun of made fun of quite a lot. and of course, because of my my skin color as well. but I think what kept me grounded was uh, my family, my sense of identity in my faith-based community
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just having that strong sense of belonging um there and and having a group around me that just felt made me feel like I belonged even when things were difficult. So I hope that gives you a little bit of a sense of of my journey and yeah where i am where
0: I landed so all right thank you so much for that um but you know there's something very interesting you said i i know you touched on it a little bit where you you mentioned about um, family sense of identity and community which is yes. very very critical to the success to anyone's success really um but can you go a little bit deeper on that quote you gave that if I've seen further, it's because uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. How how has that played out for you, both as a child and also in your your career?
1: It's allowed me to have an enormous sense of gratitude in everything that I do, to never feel like I take anything for granted, never feel entitled for anything. Mm -hmm. And also to feel like I have the wisdom of my forefathers, the strength and the values of my community, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that sense of identity, that fuels my purpose in everything Mm -hmm. that I do. And I think that's been a big part of my motivation and inspiration in my career. Mm -hmm. It's not been monetary, it's not been for achieving titles or anything like that.
2: Mm -hmm. But
1: for me, it's been such a big fuel in my life and also by extension, my desire to serve community and to serve others through my work and to find avenues and platforms that give me an ability to make a bigger difference and contribution to the community that's Mm -hmm. been probably one of my biggest inspirations in my life along with my family so i think it's been it's been very helpful and then it's also translated to genuine hard work
2: Mm -hmm. because i
1: saw how hard you know if i think about the sacrifices that all like i mean even you sitting here today i'm sure your grandparents and your great grandparents and your parents made so many sacrifices for you to be where you're today yes i think that's how i feel too is that i mean all these people before me made so many sacrifices that that was so that i could reach, you know, self-actualization and reach my highest potential. And that also drove me to work harder, be more determined, and do everything that I could to try and create a meaningful life. And so I hope that gives you a little bit more detail on how I think about it.
0: So let's talk about your career journey from the time when you gained admission to university. Because looking at your bio, I saw that you did your undergrad at the University of Victoria in computer engineering, right? Computer science. Computer science. Okay. So what led you to study computer science and how was it like during your universities? Then you went, you went to Yale um, School of Management. Then you went to University of Cambridge. You have an amazing um, resume, I would say. What led you down that path? What was it you did that helped you?
1: I was an accidental tourist into computer science. So when I Started computer science, there weren't a lot of women going into it, and I actually didn't even know that that was a degree program, if I'm very honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened was when I was in high school, I was actually struggling in math, and I was lucky enough to connect with a member of my community, my faith-based community, who took an interest in me, and I couldn't afford a math tutor, but he tutored me anyways for free, and he happened to be a math professor, so that worked out very well for me. And so he turned me from a struggling student in math to an A student in math in my high school years. And so when I started to excel in math, he said to me one day, I really think you should consider computer science.
2: Hmm. And
1: I didn't even know what that was. And so he really encouraged me to do it. And I think that was probably one of the best career decisions I ever made. Um, It was just a very late decision because many of my classmates were male and had been writing code since they were eight years old. Mm -hmm. And so I found that really hard at first, you know, because I was actually at a big disadvantage. Mm -hmm. i knew math decently well because i'd worked really hard to get my grades to a great spot but i did not understand computer science i couldn't compile code i found it really difficult at first but then i i made some really good friends in the program that really helped me work through a lot of that Mm -hmm. and then i realized that i had to put in the time and hours like i'm a big believer in malcolm Goldwell's theory of um outliers and putting Mm -hmm. in it's 10,000 hours of time which actually translates to five years of work Mm -hmm. if you work Hours a year. So it's 10,000 hours uh, in your lifetime to be an expert at something. So I had to put in my 10,000 hours, and that meant outrunning and outpacing a lot of my classmates uh, and having stamina and being mm-hmm. up in the lab till 5 a.m. and working really, really hard. And, you know, it culminated in my grades progressively improving and exceeding a 4.0 grade point average in my final year. And that was really, really rewarding to put in that time and, and land there and exit the year that way.
0: Thank you for, for sharing that. Now, let's talk about your professional journey. You've done very well and and really, really impressed and inspired by your journey. But how has the intersectionality of your identities as a woman and a second generation immigrant affected your career?
1: Mm, I think it's such a good um, question because I'm sure for many of you, um, I'm sure that you think about this a lot. Um, you know, for me, I'd say that, I mean, being, being I've always been in, in male dominated industries since my career started, right? Since being in computer science, like in my final year, 10% of my class was female. And I'd say that I I initially worried about it, but then I didn't. And that's because, and I just thought, well, then that's a way of, of being differentiated uh, at that time, right? And I think it's so much, we have so much opportunity to reframe these things as well, because so much of what we say to ourselves can Mm -hmm. advance or hinder our ability to progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think initially it was difficult. And I think that over time, I saw it as a source of strength and opportunity to differentiate. I laser focused on a few things. One is meritocracy, you know, being focused on impact and outcomes of what I was driving Mm -hmm. and really building um, my track record over time so that, you know, that would become less important And I really um, stood true and held true to my family values and my community and community values Mm -hmm. of generosity, of empathy, of kindness, of being an honest person. It was actually really interesting. I had a manager call me last summer after I hadn't spoken to him for 10 years. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you've worked with like literally hundreds of people since we worked together 10 years Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, yeah, I have. I've worked with a lot of smart people, but I'm calling you back because of the values you brought to the table you were really good at your work, but you had really good values. And I thought, wow, like that is awesome. Right. And I think that ends up being how you advance. I think is it's, I'd say if you, I don't know that being the smartest person in the room is ever possible. And so that's why I anchor on do your best to know your stuff, like know your job. Well, mm-hmm. emulate good values and lots of great things happen. Um, and I feel like that's been such a big, fuel in my career is, is keeping both of those things in mind.
0: In our conversation, you've emphasized on the importance of meritocracy and the importance of hard work. And I completely agree with you because without hard work, there's really very little that can be achieved. But why do you draw the line between hard work and smart work?
1: Mm yeah like being efficient at work right i think it's interesting um it's not an easy line to draw i think initially early on and the way i i guess i thought about it is i did put more years into my my work in in the early years of my career i should say some more mm-hmm. hours into the early years of my career mm-hmm. to build that platform and that equity in my career so that i didn't have to work those kind of hours when i have a family like mm-hmm. i have a daughter now i just certainly want to work smarter and more efficiently i do And thankfully I put a lot of like thoughtful time into my career. So that built a lot of good equity Mm -hmm. and understanding and a really strong foundation in what I do now. Mm -hmm. So yes, we want to be operating smartly. I think part of operating smartly is sometimes you have to try things out and fail yourself, (laughs) right? you don't always know what the smart path is initially when you're trying things out, Mm -hmm. I think learning from others. So definitely relying on experts and mentors and people that can guide you is such an important aspect of, of smart work, you know, reading podcasts like this one is in a form of smart work because the ROI of, you know, listening to one of your podcasts, I I hope ends up being more than one hour of time invested. So investment in yourself is a great example to a smart work. And I think like the one example I think about for myself in that was when I decided to go back to school, I did like a, a degree, just a few years ago, and it was focused on sustainability and poverty. Mm-hmm. And why did I do that? I did that because I know long term, that's an area of focus that I really want to focus on is poverty reduction and making a bigger contribution. And I thought, you know what, at that point and stage of my life, it would be worthwhile to put in that time and energy so that further on in the future, I don't need to do that. I've already demonstrated that A.I. care mm-hmm. and be a research and learnt a little bit in that area to hopefully contribute to making a bigger impact long-term. So I hope that gives you a little bit of an example as
0: well. Speaking of paths, you mentioned about somebody who played a huge role. You've mentioned two people now. Somebody who played a huge role from taking you from a struggling math student to becoming a thriving math student. And then you also mentioned about a mentor who is a white male who supported you at the early years of your career. What was it about you that made that person take on the responsibility of mentoring you? One, two, how did you find them? Three, how did you foster that relationship over the years?
1: Yeah, those are great questions. Yeah, no, I've been very blessed in my career. Most of my mentors have been actually male in my career. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess maybe because I've been in more male-dominated industries. Mm-hmm. And I've been actually very fortunate in the latter part of my career to have several female managers that have been amazing, including my, my manager today, who's just outstanding. Mm-hmm. So, but back to mentorship, because that was more earlier stage, I guess. What I would say is, you know, I, I think I found them by luck. Uh, at least my mentor when I was 16 years old was by luck. And that was just like somebody, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere looking out for me because I was 16 years old. I was struggling in, in high school in math. I could have gone in any direction in my career, I think, had I not met my professor in my community. His name is Zahir Shivji, and I'm still in touch with him yeah. until today, all these years later. Yeah. I still drop the time and tell him the impact he's had on my life because I think that's... But he had a huge impact on my life. And I think specifically, why he made such a big difference is because I'd never seen anybody with that kind of generosity before, mm-hmm. where he wanted nothing from me. He just wanted to help me in my education. He knew I couldn't afford to pay him I remember one time, um, you know, tutored me for five hours for free. And, you know, for my calculus exam. And that exam was really hard for me, I remember. Mm -hmm. But I remember, you know, two weeks later, my teacher, I'd written the exam. My teacher gets up at the front of the class and he says there was one student in the whole high school that got 100 Mm percent. And he came over to me. He folded the corner of my exam and he opened it up and it was me. And I could not believe it. I was like, I can't believe that's me. Are you sure this is a, is the right exam paper? But why that moment was so profound for me is because that mentor uh, got me to believe in myself when I didn't believe in me. Hmm. Like he saw hmm. that potential for me. He worked with me. He got hmm. me to a state where I could get 100% in calculus. I don't think I ever ever would have dreamt that was possible.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, and then, you know, I think you heard, he he also encouraged me to study computer science when nobody was studying computer science.
2: Hmm.
1: And the last thing he did for me was he really... Uh, triggered that insight around what the purpose is of knowledge and education.
2: Mm. So,
1: you know, by the end of our time working together, he said to me before I was going to university, listen, I want you to think about how you're going to use your education and knowledge to serve others.
2: Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: And that was really profound for me. That really inspired my whole career. And so I'm really grateful for him to him for that. And of course, my parents were very much in the service, but it really did ignite that spark in me. And so I think the other two questions you had for me was, how did I I find my mentor? So him was luck. The other mentor was, I think the reason why he took an interest in me is because of meritocracy. Mm. Saw that I was so interested in learning. I was so curious. I was so bent on excellence and doing the best job that I could Mm -hmm. because I was supporting him as our CEO. He was the CEO of our company at that time. And I was his head of finance, basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm so fixated on what would drive the most impact for our business, how I could support him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think we naturally built that that rapport together. And so he would provide guidance beyond the the financials with me mm-hmm. and uh, give me career perspective and, and a lot of things. And I think how you how you nurture those relationships over time. Like you've heard the mentor I had since I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I, I won't change my age, David, but that's obviously many years later I'm still <laughs> <laughs> in touch. But um, but I, I nurtured that relationship, even though, you know, he's mentored me here and there, but I still nurtured that relationship because it meant so much to me. Mm. And I'll tell you that you'd be very surprised. I, Because of his mentoring, I've probably mentored at least 200 people in my life. But you'd be very surprised how many people actually write you back and actually give a simple effort of saying thank you. You'd be very surprised at what percentage that is. And I, I want to tell you, sadly, it's very low. Mm. And so... If if somebody makes an impact on your on your life and takes the time to mentor you, my advice to all of you is just let them know because that probably means a lot to them. That's why they do it, and you know it's always it helps them pay that forward as well.
0: Um, so now speaking of a seat at the table, you've spoken about the un- unconventional way you got into computer science. You've spoken about how you went back to school to study sustainability. Now some immigrants they have all these experiences, they have these certificates, they even have many other certifications, but they are not getting that seat at the table. Mm. Apart from mentorship, apart from hard work, apart from smart work, for somebody who who may be going through that phase in their life right now, or they may be having the conversation in their heart and saying, you know what, Maybe I'm not even made for this. Maybe, you know, people like me won't get there. Maybe, well, Natasha's story is different from mine because our parents brought her to Canada. She grew up in Canada. She went through the system. It's easy for her to say all that. What do you say to somebody like that?
1: Yeah, David, it's actually interesting when you had reached out to me for the podcast, that's actually what I thought. I'm like, would I have any perspective that would be valuable to your audience and those listening? And I think, um, first of all, I know accreditation is hard. Just having myself worked with newcomers from Afghanistan and some of them with PhDs that had a hard time becoming recognized in Canada. So I know that is, and doctors and lawyers and many of those things not being easy. Um, I think, you know, I guess the, the practical advice there is I know there are bridging programs that help address some recognition there. And I unfortunately, I don't have a different answer other than those are sometimes a path you need to take. Mm-hmm. But there's also an opportunity sometimes to diversify off of your skills. And maybe mm-hmm. that's an opportunity that could be a shorter path mm-hmm. to also earning uh, a reasonable income
2: mm-hmm. and
1: building your skill. So I think about like some of the programs, for example, not, not to overly promote these, but we're trying to do it at Google as well. Because at Google, we're really keen on digital skills and you think mm-hmm. about high growth industries and so we're offering things like a nine-month certification program and then you go online you fill out and this is actually for IT support for hardware and software
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's those and then we have one for our program management project management and one for analytics and so we're offering like nine to twelve month programs you go online completely self-led uh, studies and then we've partnered with organizations in Canada that are willing to hire from that program
2: mm-hmm.
1: So those, there are also like micro-credentialing that could help some people that are maybe having a hard time thinking, I don't want to study for another three to four or five years. Mm. Some of that micro-credentialing can go a long way mm. in sort of providing that bridge to careers that open the door that are still can be a good foot in the door. Like, David, I loved your story because look at you now. You're like a portfolio manager. You should be very proud. Thank you. You got your foot in the door. And I think that's so key. And I think that is hard because I know back home, I've had so many stories with newcomers about back home. I was like running my own practice or my own business. And now I've had to, you know, drive a car or, you know, do deliveries and things like that. But I want to just encourage you to look at micro-credentialing online Mm -hmm. because those are great avenues to parallel path, earn an income for your family by doing whatever you need to do to make the short-term cash, which I can understand. Mm -hmm. And then see if there are ways to do micro-credentialing or even, you know, bridge programs that, that may not take as long or even if they do take long, that's fine. But think of, thinking about it in that way um, and then just continuing to nurture the network. Like I said, there are so many people that want to help mm. that want to open up that door for you and have been there before.
2: Mm.
0: And so
1: just reaching out to people that can help and if they don't want to help, then move on to the next. It's nothing personal. There are many people that want to help.
0: Now, again, speaking of a seat at the table, let's say that there's a young girl brilliant young girl immigrant you know she came to school she did her undergrad and she's in that organization where she has always dreamt of she's growing her career gradually and she wants a seat at the table what advice do you have for her and also for those immigrants who are also you know growing gradually but they also want a seat at the table what advice do you have for them
1: yeah, I mean, I feel like I've, I've shared a lot of it. I don't know if it's it's very insightful now, but I'd say that um, meritocracy, so be really good at your job. I think that's so important because that will get recognized. If you're in the right environment, people will notice. It's like, wow, David, you're doing an excellent job at this. It's kind of hard not to miss that. I think if you're in a great environment, I think secondly is building relationships around you and finding both a mentor and a sponsor. Hmm. So you know the the ceo example his name is chris o'neill he's amazing and he was a sponsor for me really because he not only gave me he did mentor me and give me career advice but he also became a sponsor when there was a great job opportunity in market Mm -hmm. and the opportunity was to move from finance to sales running an industry that i was not familiar with but he saw the potential in me and said you know i had to go through the process and apply but had it not been for his sponsorship that would have been difficult because The distinction between a mentor and sponsor is really important. A sponsor talks about you when you are not in the room. Mm. And you need both. Mm. And the sponsor is sitting at a future table that you would like to be at. Mm. And so I want each of you to think about both a mentor and sponsor. in Ideally, your work environment. Sponsoring your work environment is quite important because you're trying to get a seat at a table.
2: Mm. And that
1: might not happen right away, Mm. but that sponsor can speak about you, advocate for you, guide you. Mm. and they talk about you when you're not there and then unlock doors for you mm. so that you're in consideration said so, I I've, it's really interesting now all these conversations about you know diversity and inclusion you can imagine that at work I do have a, a number of them and I'm really grateful that Google cares a lot about racial injustice and in addressing this issue
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: you know, but it, you know for some people it can be an uncomfortable topic to talk mm. about and I think for some they're worried about you know are we gonna change our hiring policies and this and that and my answer to that is Lower the barrier, not the bar. And so I want all of you to remember that that's why if you're meritocratic, you do, you have to manage what's within our control. We can't control how people perceive us. We can't do any of that. What we can do within our control is work hard, develop relationships around us, network, be smart about our careers, think about our mindset and what we're, you know, mindfulness and, you know, developing clarity on where we want to go in the future. That's all within our control. And also eventually the environment you are in, what company you work for and all that, you will be able to steer that in the right moments, if not now, then future. Um, But I think that's really important. And if you do that, then that's why I always say that, lower the barrier, not the bar. And I think that's what I'd say to also newcomers, you bring a really unique perspective. And I I really want you to think about how you understand your own self-worth and and not just hone in on your gaps, but also shore up your strengths, right? Because that's gonna be important in your narrative. And recognizing, you know, uh, your own story and all that will be important, but also thinking about how to uh, articulate the narrative in such a way that it's applicable to Canada. So I had one example I want to share with you because I thought about this a lot, David, which is like, I think it's important that you frame things in a bigger context. You think about the outcomes and you share examples that are transferable to Canada.
0: Thank you so much for that. So let's let's talk about your challenges. Because I'm I'm sure not everything in your journey has been smooth sailing. Can you share a few of the challenges that you've faced and the lessons that you learned in those challenges as a result?
1: Yeah, David, such a good question because I think, you know, we see the end product of people's careers and we forget like along the way, I had many, many mistakes and many Mm -hmm. challenges along the way. And I'll talk about um, probably two or three of them because they're probably really pronounced for me. So you know, I think computer science, we talked a lot about how hard that was. And I think the challenge there for me was just not knowing how to code and do all of those things. And you saw how I sort of addressed that challenge just through hard work. Mm-hmm. I you you t- touched on my, my final year of GPA, which came with a lot of hard work. And what was really hard when I graduated is that I was not getting the same opportunities as my male classmates. I mm-hmm. had a higher GPA than them, but they were being flown to Silicon Valley and they were getting all the kind of prestigious, prestigious job interviews that I was not getting. And I found that really hard because I didn't think that was fair and equitable and all of these things that you worry about. But for me, I just realized the learning from that was that I need to build my own opportunities.
2: Mm.
1: And when one door closes, you need to find another door that opens.
2: Mm.
1: And I think that's important because we might, and that wasn't personal. There were other, I'm sure, female classmates or people of color maybe that were not getting interviews. Okay. Mm. It's not personal. It's me. It's just the system. And then I realized, like, I, you know, I've got, a, have got a good strength here. Now i worked really hard to end up at this point. How do I build my own opportunities? And then basically landed other internships that were much better environments for me and was able to cast a different path than that.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I think the second, like, I guess, challenge uh, that I would, uh, that I would highlight was really um, when I was actually looking at leaving uh, McKinsey, actually. And mm. so the challenge there was that, um, yeah, I'd been working, it was actually, I was working so many hours. So first of all, it was one of the best professional experiences I had
2: mm-hmm. because
1: I learned a lot. And But the breaking point for me was just um, the, the situation I was in. I had kind of learned what I wanted to learn. And it, the context was hard because I was working for a client on Wall Street that had just received um, funding from the Obama government at that time, funding because they were not doing well. And the executives were like leaving at four o'clock every day, going to play golf. And there I was working till midnight. And I'm thinking, these guys don't care about anything I'm doing. I probably need to do something different. And so um, that was a really good learning for me because I think it showed me that values are important and mm-hmm. values alignment is really important to achieve your best self.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't
1: feel like I doing my best in those, on that project. And that's because I found it soul crushing to mm-hmm. be working till midnight every day when like a group of executives really didn't care what we were doing at all. And we're busy, more busy thinking about what, what golf course are going to next versus like actually looking at what we were doing. And it wasn't my manager's fault. It wasn't anything like that. But that was also uh, a moment, again, a pivotal moment in my life when I then ended up at Google. And I will say that the transfer to Google was hard. Like I remember actually McKinsey When you when you let them know that you want to leave, they're very generous. So they give you like what they call search time. They set you up with an executive recruiter because they want all of their alumni to land in a good spot. So that was very generous. But I remember the recruiter I met who I couldn't believe she said this to me, but she looked at my resume and she told me that I needed to dumb down my resume because nobody would hire me. Hmm. And I was so bored that she told me that. And I walked out of her office and I thought, I don't I don't need to dumb down my resume. I'm like, I know my self-worth and I worked really hard to do all the things that I did. Why would I do that? And then thankfully, you know, I ended up with interviews at Google. 12 interviews later, I ended up with a job at Google, right? Mm. If I had listened to her, I guess that's my other advice to all of you is it's nothing personal.
2: Mm. There are
1: just people that reveal their character in those moments. So mm.
2: was
1: it personal to me. No, it wasn't about me. It was about her issue and how she probably interfaces with other, you know, people of color or whatever that was for her. But for me, I knew myself worth worth when I walked out the door and I knew how hard I had to work and how hard my parents had to work for me to do all the things that I did that I said, that's your problem, not mine. And then still managed to network and find doors to open and then work really hard 12 interviews later then lend a role at Google. So I think, I hope that helps because there were a lot of no's in there, a lot of like awkward moments and, you know, things that I wish went differently. But I think those are opportunities as well.
0: You, you said some very interesting things. But can you tell us how you transitioned from consulting to Google? But for those people who are looking to switch industry, what was it that helped you and how did you do it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I've done a lot. I guess that's the other challenge I've had is I've done a lot of career switching. And it's been really, I'll tell you very honestly, it was very stressful. <laughs> because you go from actually knowing what you're doing to not knowing anything at all. And that was true when I was in you know, computer science, I didn't know how to code. And then I kind of put in the hours and then exited knowing how to code. And then I really did want to get into consulting early and earlier on in my career. But I think what I'd say to all of you that want a career switch is you need to signal that in some way. So my signals have often been building on what I know or doing something like education. So for example, I did apply to McKinsey, I did. I got a nice rejection letter (laughs) when I was, I remember I was cleaning up my desk at my last day of undergrad and there was a letter from McKinsey and it was a rejection letter. So I, you know, recycled it. I didn't get in and I was an undergrad. Right. But then I realized that the reason why I didn't get in is because I didn't have a business background at that time. And also they weren't recruiting at the school that I graduated from. So I knew that. And I'm like, that's an important thing for me to keep in mind. So that's why it also inspired me to go to school in the U S Right. And that was my signal to McKinsey that, look, I really want to work with you. And for me, the reason why I wanted to work at McKinsey is because I knew that that skill set would give me the ability to serve at a greater level at mm-hmm. a greater, you know, develops transferable skills that would allow me to serve. And so, you know, even in, in that case, um, I won't cover that story too much. Just noting that um, it was a lot of hustle, but ended up getting getting a role in that because I had signaled to them right through my MBA education. And um, the fact that I was doing an MBA, not just computer science, that I was, you know, perhaps ready to to land an internship. And even in that one, the side note on that is that they weren't even hiring at my school for internships my first year; they were only doing full time opportunities. Hmm. So what I did on that, I was so disappointed because I received rejection letters from all the other firms that I applied to, all hmm. of them. Rejection letters; they wouldn't even look at. Give me the time of day. And then I had a friend call me, and he's like, "Oh, how's your, you know." job hunt going for your internship and I'm like not good my dream company is McKinsey and they're not even recruiting this year he's like well try something different I'm like okay so then I went on the website looked at what they were doing and what they were hiring and I cold called McKinsey and I didn't even have a name Mm
2: -hmm. and I just
1: said can I speak with the MBA recruiter and she happened to be at her desk that day at 4 p.m on a Friday and then I gave her my sales pitch and I was like shaking while I'm giving her my sales pitch because I'm thinking oh my god I can't believe I was actually just so surprised she picked up the phone but mm-hmm. I had my sales pitch ready and they were looking for people with um, technical and engineering backgrounds, undergraduate degrees with a business combination. So I had the skill set, mm-hmm. but they just happened to be rec- uh, recruiting. And then long story short, I ended up getting into the consideration set, not lowering the bar, but lowering the barrier for myself and got in the consideration set and, you know, went through the interview process in Chicago and New York and landed an internship, just like, even though they were in a core school. Mm-hmm. So all to say like, that's how I, I managed that career switch. And so you can see that I got creative. I think that's the other thing. Don't take no for an answer, get creative. And then with Google, you know, I will tell you that the reason why it took me 12 interviews to get in is because the first job I applied for was a sales job that I ended up getting six years into Google or not six years. Sorry, I guess it would have been like three or four years into Google. But that first job I applied for, I was like, oh, I meet like three out of six criteria. And they were like, no. So I didn't get the job. I didn't actually get the job. And so that was a sales job. And instead, they called me back for another job that was in strategy and operations, which was a perfect segue out of McKinsey, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? And that's the other thing I was going to say is that was where I built on my strength to get into a company. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you may need to do that. So if you are at, let's say, an RBC or another bank, it's sometimes easier to move around when you're within. So I look at my career, once I was inside Google, this is my fifth role. My first role was in strategy, which I had strength in because I came in knowing strategy. I didn't know Google. I didn't know the tech industry at that time, had to learn all of that. And then the door unlocked for a finance job, which by the way, they only hired private equity, pe- private equity backgrounds or investment bankers. And somehow I landed that job. I was actually very surprised. Um, and I wouldn't recommend you do what I did, which is I sent <laughs> to the CEO saying, I don't think I'm, I don't know why I did this. I don't recommend this, but I was like, well, oh, I don't think I'm qualified. And he's like, No, we want to interview you. So I was surprised by that, but all to say, I shouldn't have said that part, but, um, you know, I ended up getting that opportunity because I had spent time with the CEO, had some conversations, had a great performance track record in the role that I had, even though I didn't find it as interesting as I would have liked, but it didn't matter. And then, and then a role in sales, right? So moving from finance to sales, that's how I did it was again, really trying to meritocratically do a good job at what I was doing in finance. Demonstrating business acumen through that, having that rapport with the CEO, and it didn't get me the job, but it get, it got me into the consideration set. And then it's on me, right, to perform and demonstrate that I'm the right person. Mm-hmm. So I hope that gives you some insight on how to how to career switch. Is either building on what you can, like what you already have on the skill set mm-hmm. within the company that you have, and if you're planning on moving to another company, sometimes it may be best to actually leverage that function into another company and then move it around when you're there. Mm. depending on the type of role
0: yeah thank you so much for that with all your wisdom now if you could say something to your former 20 20 year old self what would it be
1: yeah it's such a good question i've been thinking about that a lot so i think what i would say to my myself i would have um i would say you know know your self-worth Know your story. Mm. Don't be defined what others don't be defined by others, I guess, what others expect of you. And just find moments of joy and mm. have as much joy in your life as possible.
2: Mm. Because
1: the present in the moment is really, really important. And that's all we really have. Mm. And so yeah, I was thinking about this the other day when I was asked asked to share at work my best moment of 2020. Um, so I was going to say that, um, when I was asked at work to share a moment of of joy Mm. with the office and they shared, I, the moment I shared was I was sitting in my office and I heard my daughter playing outside. She's four and she was laughing and giggling. And I was like, Oh, I had a break in my day. So I grabbed my cup of tea. I ran outside and I watched her play outside with reckless abandon and joy running through the sprinkler. The sky was blue. The flowers were in full bloom. And I was sipping my tea, it was beautiful, fragrant jasmine tea. And I lost myself in that moment. And I completely forgot we were in a global pandemic. And then, you know, all this time has passed and, you know, moments are good, moments are tough.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: draw upon that moment. And I thought about that moment dozens and dozens of times because that is like part of my library of joy. And I think mm-hmm. that for all of us, we all have moments that bring us joy and that we can draw upon that gives us strength. and you know, courage in tough moments and reminds us of, you know, the essence of who we are and, and you know, that life isn't all about this pandemic and difficulties and challenges. It's also about enjoying life.
0: Thank you so much for that. So imagine sitting across a newcomer or an immigrant or a young girl. What advice would you give them to navigate their journey? You know, how can they showcase what their unique experiences bring to the workplace?
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to cover this question a little bit more macro because I think I covered the, the more, great um, yeah. right, with the example from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is goal setting and, and vision boarding. Yeah, it's a side passion for me. And so I'd say if you're a new immigrant to Canada, um, I'd love you to spend time thinking about the goals that you set for yourself and your family, both career and life. And I think that's really important because if you only engineer for career, you're going to hinder your life. And so I think it's important to set both career and life goals uh, and long onto the horizon. What does that look like 15 to 20 years from now or 10 to fifty years from now? I guess, as long as you can imagine it. And I think it's important to then, you know, translate that into specific goals now mm-hmm. to start working towards that. So for me, I've had a, uh, a, a five-year plan since I was about 18 or 19 years old. Um, but then also that plan has evolved to include a vision board, which is basically a visual, Depiction of what I see for my life in the next ten to fifteen years, and then what I've done in the last little while is actually articulate five life goals that I have for myself. You know, I'll wrap with one story on that. 18 months ago, I think Michelle Obama came to Toronto. I think it was about 18 months ago, but the coronavirus does does skew my concept of time, so I believe it was 18 months ago. She came to Toronto, mm. and I was supposed to clients to Michelle Obama, but unfortunately, all my clients were being taken by other um, partners, so I didn't get the chance to go. So i'm getting ready to leave work that day to go home and i have a very good friend who text messages me and says great news i've got an extra ticket to michelle obama do you want to join me and i'm thinking oh my goodness i would love to go see her she's just amazing and so i send him a message back and i say sorry i can't tonight um i have other plans and the other plan was basically having dinner with my daughter and this was important to me because i know that if i want to help my daughter achieve her best in life then I need to be there and I need to be present and I didn't want to disappoint her so an hour later he he text messages me again and he's like are you sure and I'm like I'm sure so I go home I open up the door and my daughter runs to me like she hasn't seen me for a hundred years and wow. is so excited just to see me
0: Wow!
1: A moment of joy and I say to myself I made absolutely made the right decision yes I was sad not to go but that evening I probably had macaroni and cheese for dinner I think we picked up leaves in our backyard, but that was the most important place that I needed to be. And that meant the world to my daughter. Wow! And that's why I want all of you to think about your life and career goals together, because many of you are raising families or have families of your own or, you know, families around you. And it's so important to do both because life otherwise passes you by just
0: working hard without keeping those things in mind. Finally, in your interview, you've probably repeated yourself many times over. (laughs) Tell me something that you've never shared with the media.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I I guess I, I don't, I talk a little bit about it, but I guess you probably heard me say it. So it might not be that insightful for you, but you know, just how passionate I'm about serving. Mm. And yeah. like people think that, you know, I've got this, I've taken this different career path and I've done all of these things, but that's been my, like one of my singular goals is to contribute. And that's my side hustle in my career. Wow. And it only dawned on me last year when I was like working on my bio for some conference. I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been serving for 20 years, how did that happen? I didn't even realize till last year wow. that I had served the community for 20 years in different avenues, whether it was working with special needs kids or working on poverty or crisis response or public health, working with refugees, I didn't even realize mm. because it was such an innate part of me. But now I am I realize that's so important because that's what makes leaders well-rounded. Mm. Um, and So I'm just really thankful for the opportunities I get at Google as well to use that platform for service. You know, that Google supports me, allows me to really contribute to the community while also balancing the role that I have. And so I'm really thankful for that.
0: So, is there anything that you like to add, or if you were in my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you?
1: Yeah, I guess like I just want to say a couple things. One is David, thank you for all of your contributions. I love that you are effectively a community activist. You saw, you spotted a problem in society and you're like, I'm going to do my part to do it. And I love that you're like, I didn't know how to do a podcast. And so what I'd say to that is the first time of anything is really hard, but it gets easier and easier. And I think that's what I want to say to all the newcomers. I I can imagine for some of you, it's a very difficult time. If you just arrived, it's you were in the middle of a pandemic. And I know the market conditions may not be where you hope it would be, but this too shall pass. And to keep that in perspective and to recognize everybody that became that came behind us and beside us has overcome incredible things, and that deep down we have the resilience of our forefathers with us to fuel that courage and get through these difficult times and to not forget to invest in yourself because that little investment will provide tremendous equity and impact in your life over time. And I love the book Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. And effectively, I'll send you that article, remind me, David, but effectively, it is if you work on yourself 1% every day and do something to improve your lot, you'll be 37 times better by the end of the year. And I actually Mm -hmm. bought that book for my entire team last year on the power of micro habits. And so just doing something little every day that invests in you to build that equity in yourself and for your family. And that I guess the other thing I would say is just know that Many leaders, including myself in the industry, are in your corner and and very committed to making the future better. And we all want to do our part to make a more inclusive, sustainable and equitable equitable world. And so that hopefully that force will also be helpful to each of you over time to unlock new opportunities and a brighter future for all.
0: Thank you so much, Natasha, for your great contribution to the Fresh Start podcast.
1: Thank you, David. And thanks for all that you do. And um, all the best to you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fresh Start Orb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you please go to www.thefirststartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.